Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, Right. For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Hey guys, welcome back to Soul Sisters. I am your host, Jesse Katz. I am Dara Golub, who is also your host. Also your host. Two hosts for the price of one, <laughs> which is free. Welcome to podcasting. <laughs> and uh, we are chilling in our little archive library in the Billboard office. Yes. Uh, it's a pretty fairly empty office today because a lot of our colleagues are still at Coachella, oh, which just wrapped up yesterday. So jealous. Uh, yeah, it looked like a good one. Mm-hmm. Uh, I have to say I've never been. Me either. And I used to think that I didn't care about going because even when I was in my 20s, I felt like I couldn't handle it. I couldn't handle like desert, what, desert living and, like, and heat and yeah. possibly no the- showering or like whatever the circumstance would be. Um, but now I'm kind of sad that I don't go. Which is funny because it's like now we're older. Right. Normally we'd want more comfort. Yeah. Well, there's ways to do it. There are ways to do there's it. And if I do went it. now, I think I would You'd insist spend the on money. those ways. <laughs> right. I would have a house and yeah. whatnot. Um, or a nice TP. Yeah. Yeah. At least a nice TP. Right. <laughs> um, but yeah, there was some cool stuff that happened that I was jealous I wasn't there for. Like. Like. New Gaga. Drumroll. New, new Gaga track that she premiered at the festival. What are your feelings? And I'm super into it. Super down. <laughs> I feel like I've become a little bit of a pop princess in my taste. Dare I say that's true since I've met you even. Yes. yes. <laughs> Within the past a year fairly and a half, recent evolution. A recent evolution. Working at Billboard. This is you know, yeah. the world. I just, I, I love a good pop song. And Nothing her new song, The Cure, is I think. Is exactly that. It's so good. It's a good. great pop song. Yeah. Um, I saw the video of her that I think my colleagues snapped singing the song at Coachella and then I immediately found it on streaming and did not stop playing it for the rest of the weekend. Gaga has no trouble streaming. Yeah. Yeah. No. It's great. It's awesome. Give it to us right away. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. So big fan of that. Um, Kendrick was there playing, I think almost all of his new album, um, which sounded awesome. So good. And I've been listening to that one a lot too. Me too. We have a few favorite tracks from that yes. record. Love is my favorite. Love, lust, humble. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Loyalty with Riri. Mm-hmm. Um, also, Lord was at Coachella and I think did a couple new ones. So if you guys were there, good for you. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and if you weren't, you can join us. Yeah. Joining uh, in our envy, Coachella envy. Anyway, um, so this is a big episode that we're bringing to you guys today. Mm-hmm. For all you 90s 
another 90s edition of soul sisters uh the cranberries have a new album coming out at the end of the month and dolores a couple new hits yeah so dolores or reardon from cranberries came on soul sisters which I, i i asked them if she would come and that was one of those asks that i was not confident about because i know everyone in the world wants to talk to her right now yeah and uh they were like yeah she would love to make this work let's do it and we were and like, we into the, the archive library closet. Yeah. Um, and she She's is, awesome. yeah, she, she has one of those presences where I feel like she makes everything a little quiet around her and you're just like, okay, you just give mm-hmm. us what you want to give us yeah. and we will happily receive it. <laughs> right. She has been a rock star since she was 17. Yeah. Like right out of like, the gate. Like old school nineties rock star. Yes. And that you feel that presence exactly. Yeah. yeah, she's a badass. She even sang a little bit for us on this <laughs> one, so you're in for a treat, guys. There you go, Dolores from Cranberries. You going? Yeah. All right, Dolores, welcome to Soul Sisters. Thanks for having me. Thanks for coming in on this dreary day. Yes, it is dreary. <laughs> yeah. How long are you in New York for? I'm leaving tomorrow back to Ireland for rehearsals. Okay. Where in Ireland do you go back? Limerick in the south Limerick? of Ireland, so I fly into Shannon. It's okay. a direct, it's always direct flights into Shannon, so it's quite handy. Yeah, nice. that's good. Is Limerick home now? Yes. Great. So um, I have a really good friend who's from Limerick, and I told her that you were coming in, and I was like, can you please give me some kind of cool, like, Limerick inside info that I can impress Dolores with? And she <laughs> she gave me a few options, she but she you? didn't she didn't feel very sure of them, but I want to read them to you, okay? okay. <laughs> these are from Liz Ryan, my friend Liz. Okay, so these are, tell me if any of these are at least things that you Have recognize. Yeah. Uh, Mickey Martin's Pub pours a great pint of Guinness. Um, I don't know Mickey Martin. Who doesn't okay. pour a great pint of Guinness? I'm well, so, okay, I'm sure some are better than others. True, true. Um, our, our county song is Limerick, You're a Lady. That's right. I used to sing that when I was a kid. Oh, I better turn off my phone. Um, can you, do you still remember it? I thought that was the funniest name do, of a song. Yeah. yeah, I do remember it, actually. I used to sing it. It was my party piece. Really? And my mom used to have me sing it at family get-togethers. Limerick, you're my lady, or Shannon water, tears of joy that flow. Yes. Did, so you grew up singing that? Yes. Was that something that all the kids learn in school, or where do you yeah, learn Yeah, we that? learned Just it in family? school. Yeah. Okay. Um, okay, also, she said, I believe we were crime capital of Europe during the 80s and 90s. You reckon? And that's why Limerick has the nickname Stab City. Yes. Oh. Yeah, which does from not Limerick, you're a lady. Like, yeah, <laughs> like that. my yeah. image of Limerick is so this idyllic little yeah. town. Yeah, Limerick got tagged with that label for some reason. When you know all cities have stabbings, you know, right. but Limerick got tagged with the label. But it's shaking it. You know, now Limerick's a different city, and they got the uh, award for the city of culture in this European award oh, wow. ceremony. And I actually played at the, there was an event, and I played at the event in Limerick New Year's Eve four years ago 2012 and it was actually through that event and through playing at that event that the decision decision i'm having my tongue tied up here (laughs) to uh to do an album with a quartet came from that event oh wow because you played with strings that's right we played with a quartet and you record i mean all of your a lot of your music has strings but you never played a full tour with strings that's that's the difference right that's the difference Yeah. yeah that's so exciting cool um, okay, well, those are all of Liz's okay. little Limerick <laughs> trivia items. Um, how soon after you joined the Cranberries were you, like, not able to have a normal undercover life in Limerick? 
Like, how quickly did things change for you? Pretty much straight away because Linger went to top 10 in America. So once I left Limerick in 1990, I suppose it was 1990, yeah. uh, I came back about a, a year later and we were absolutely massive, you know. In a small, it's a smaller town, right? It's a small town, yeah. yeah. I'm curious what it was like. You grew up with six siblings. You were one of seven, is that right? That's right. Okay, where did you fall in that? I was the youngest. Wow. So what was that like? Was everyone given the musical option? Like, how did how did music come into your life? I ended up being the most musical in the family. I started playing the tin whistle when I was five and Irish dancing and singing. And Were your siblings doing similar dancing? Yeah, my, a couple of my younger brothers did Irish dancing, but they didn't like it. They went into sports more. Um, my sister was a great Irish dancer, and she's very creative. She's always drawing and painting and writing poetry and stuff. So then you just fell in love with all of the arts yes, at that time? Yes, that's right, yeah. And you have mostly brothers, right? Five brothers and one Ooh. sister. Okay. So <laughs> even as a kid, you were used to being the girl in the group, right? That's right, yeah. <laughs> as a dynamic, you were already comfortable with. Lots of men around, yeah. Yeah. There's a lot more women around now, I notice, in rock and roll. Like, this place is full of women. Right. It's nice to see, you know? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah does, does that feel good? Do you feel like there's a, a sisterhood? I do. I, li- I like that. Yeah, we have a fair few women on the road as well. I like to have women around as much as possible. Uh-huh. I think it keeps the balance. Yeah. yeah. How do you do that when you're with the Cranberries? You have women in the crew? We do. We have women in the crew. Okay. Yeah. Is that a newer thing or have you always tried to have that balance? Um, I always tried to have the balance. You know, in the 90s, there weren't as many women, but now there's a lot more, you know. So when... Before you joined the band, it was all boys, and then Niall left, and they decided they wanted a woman singer to front the band. Is that right? That was it. Well, they didn't necessarily want a female, but I arrived, and they thought that I was really good. Okay, I wasn't <laughs> sure if that was, like, a specific yeah. thing they were looking uh, actually, for. Actually, the bass player used to be like, I don't want to have a girl singer. <laughs> yeah. He was 16. We were starting talking about shopping around where we're recording. Midtown. Midtown, Manhattan. And um, I was just asking what you're looking for, and it's basically tour wardrobe, tour costumes. Yeah, I just I always just shop around, and I try to find nice pieces that would look good on stage, and I put them into my wardrobe case, and then I have an assistant wardrobe girl, and she hangs everything for me in my dressing room before the gig. And my dressing room is important because that's your little sanctuary when you're on tour and you have to perform. You need a little room where you feel comfortable and your own, you know, sometimes you walk into the room and all your clothes are there and your makeup and your bits and you kind of calm down then. Mm-hmm. Do you ha- normally have your own space separate from the guys? Yes, I have my own dressing room, yeah. We'd need that. Right. Yeah. <laughs> but some of your looks have been so extravagant. I'm thinking specifically of the, like, lamp shady um, uh, sequin beaded headdress yes, thing. Yes, I, mean, I love headdresses yeah. and I like chain mail and I like all that kind of stuff. <laughs> I found this store when I first came down to New York and uh, it was called Gothic Renaissance. It's over near Union Square and they had such cool stuff there. They had like these boots up to your knees that were all, maybe they'd weigh um, 20 pounds weight, all metal. Really cool stuff for the stage. Now, you wouldn't be wearing it going to mass with your mammy now, but you'd wear it on stage. (laughs) Right. And that brings me to the idea of you having these sort of dual personas. I mean, do you feel like you put on these clothes, you get into the stage, you know, mentality? Yeah, definitely. Definitely I am. You know, I have certain things that I wear on stage and they're only first stage, but you wouldn't wear them walking around the streets because you'd look a bit crazy, you know. Although when I was manic, I dressed really weird for a while. I was manic for four months and I was wearing all kinds of metal things and masks and all kinds of weird stuff. 
When was that? That was uh, two years ago. Okay, so you were recording... Oh, no. That was sort of an in-between time. Yes. Okay. Well... Can, can we go back a little bit? Yeah. We got thrown off course a little bit. But I, I want to... I just love this idea of you being this, like, young girl in Limerick who was just this exceptional talent in the town, had this voice that seem, seemingly came out of nowhere, right? Yes. Just like it was born in you. Yeah. And uh, you grew up with all these brothers, and then you joined this band with a bunch of guys... Yes. And you come to them with this song that ends up being... Linger. Linger. Yes. Not just any song. And Linger ends up being the first hit. And you just are like... I feel like in every stage of your life, you just arrive completely formed. <laughs> yes. <laughs> like this presence. And you just like shake up the scene that you enter into. Yes. Is that what it felt like for you? Yeah. It was, yeah. Um, it was turbulent. It was crazy. It was like a roller coaster, really. I went from we went from being relatively unknown in Limerick like a bunch of kids I was in my school uniform when I walked into the room for the first time and uh, you were so 18 17, 17? Uh, in, and it was my last year in school okay so I wanted to be in a rock band and I had told my mother and she said I'll rock band your ear and <laughs> so they were not into the rock not and roll. into of course not like because it's not a proper job and my mother wanted me to go to college so I said to her Give me one year, Mum. Mm-hmm. Give me one year with the band. And if it takes off, good. And if it doesn't, I'll go back to college. What was your plan if you hadn't found a band? I was going to go to UCC and do European studies. Okay. You know, um, sounded like an interesting course to take, you know. And mm. being that the EU was forming and all at that point, I thought it'd be good to do European studies, you know. Yeah. So um, I, I went off to Cranberries and sure, within a year we were top ten in America. We just got really lucky, so I never went back then. Right. Um, I read this uh, fascinating profile that Rolling Stone did with you in 95. Yes. So this was, I guess, five years-ish after the band forms. Yes. And you are so young, but you you speak with such wisdom. Yes. And, like, you've gone through so much, and you've already learned so much, and you can already, like, look back on your work and reflect on your work. Yes. And the music industry. It was, like, so interesting to read you in that moment in time, especially because you guys just had your 25th anniversary a couple years ago, right? Yes, that's right. Um, And you mentioned in that profile that you were talking about the chauvinism in the music industry. Yeah. And you said something about how you were glad that you were married young because you felt like it shielded you a bit from that yes but I wonder in what ways you still were experiencing it then like do you remember specific ways in which chauvinism yeah like why yeah like what you were thinking of at the time well I mean you know not everybody wanted a female to be the front face of a big band you know yeah um it was definitely more male dominant at the time you know Mm -hmm. and so you had to be much stronger than a man to actually make it you had to be three times better than a man had to be, you know. Right. It's like a lot, a lot of male-dominated um, careers. Mm-hmm. You know, you like do have careers. to be three times better than the man to get right. to the same place. Right. Yeah. And you were the songwriter. Yes. For most of the song, for almost everything. Did you experience that people would often assume that the guys wrote the songs, right. or you know that like they just would assume that you did less than you actually did? For um, the band? Not really, because we did a lot of press, you know. That's so true. we clarified yeah. that pretty much immediately, you know. Yeah. Right, it was out of the gate, just like... I mean, that kind of instant fame at that time. Mm-hmm. You know, you hear these stories, and, and today it's just... It's so d- 
different and also the same way you can just sort of blow up out of nowhere but yeah. how that happened yeah in your first in your first two records you had like four of the greatest hits that you've had yes. and you wrote them as such a young person and they are so like reflective and wise and mature yes and they haven't really dated that much right because our music we kind of had our own style and we didn't fall into any categories and we weren't really copying anybody we were just kind of making our own sound and trying to do our own thing and I grew up with so many different um, types of music old world music you know um, uh, in, in the church I was playing the organ and I used to do a lot of Gregorian Latin stuff you know um, like I was singing the Panis Angelicus and the Ave Maria at a very young age and those are very hard hymns to sing you know and uh, then also I was involved in traditional Irish music so I used to do go to a lot of competitions with school bands and uh then there was the, um, you know, the modern influences in rock and roll. My parents listened to Elvis and Frank Sinatra and the Beatles. And so I had a lot of uh, exposure to different types of music growing up, you know. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, sure, when you think of the Cranberries, you remember you guys being so ubiquitous in the 90s, but I don't think of it as being a 90s sound, you know. Like, like there's just rock and roll yeah, sound. It's, like it's not a dated it's, sound right, to my ear. I wouldn't like put you in a category with other bands that sounded like that. Yes, you know, and it's remained a very singular sound. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Which is why I'm curious your feeling of how you know when a song should be a cranberry song versus now a Dolores O'Riordan song or even a dark song. You have other projects now. Yes, and how you <coughs> conceptualize like okay, this this feels different or. What, what is it that is a cranberry sound for you? Or well, well um, you know, sometimes I'll write a song and what I do now is I have like a box and I write songs and I put them into the box. I just keep them all on file. And then when it comes to releasing something, I can pull them out and I'll say to the cranberries, try this one. It'll be demoed and it'll be recorded, but I want them to try and play it and see what they, you know, what kind of magic they're going to bring to it, you know. So two of the songs on this um, current album are out of that box, you know. There are two songs that I had written, um, that maybe, maybe three years do ago. Solo or? I was maybe I, I wasn't sure really, but I had them written anyway because when the spontaneity comes to write a song, you write the song and then you keep it because you don't know when you're going to get that spontaneity again. You know, I write very spontaneously. You know, it depends what I'm going through in my life. Sometimes I just feel compelled to write, and then I write and I capture it. And I'll just keep it, you know, because I know that eventually it'll be released in some shape or format. Yeah, because your songs very much tell the story in a very simple, not too revealing way, but tell the story of your life. Yes. And so I imagine that, right, when something's good, when you're going through something, it's it's songwriting. It's reflected in the work. Yeah, it's reflected and it's not so much a challenge to get to to songwrite because it's such a, feels like almost a therapeutic thing for you. Yes, it's very therapeutic. And there's two bonus tracks on this album. Um, one of them is called Why. And that one That's I, a bonus track? Yes, it's a, well it's a, it's, a it's an extra too. track. Okay. Yeah, it's a single. And um I wrote that after my father died and it was about a year and a half actually after he died, you know. Because when you first lose a parent, I think you're so overwhelmed with sadness and tears every morning when you wake up, it's a shock and you get sick to your stomach every single morning because you realise they're gone. But it takes a long time to get used to waking up and to feel normal again because there's somebody in your life like that forever and then they're gone. So then it took me a while to get over the initial shock and to actually be able to write something good, you know. And this one was more... There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with plush care. 
PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Like, I felt like when he passed away that he didn't actually leave this world fully. I felt him around me a lot for a while. I could feel him trying to protect me and communicate with me. And there was a lot of weird little coincidences and stuff that made me think that maybe he was somewhere in between not necessarily crossed over properly, you know. And we all wonder about death, <clears throat> where people go and what happens, you know. But they certainly have to cross over from this dimension to another one, you know. Is so, that something you had thought about before he died? Well, I mean... Like the spiritual afterlife, what happened? I was raised Catholic, you know, and so you spent a lot of time reflecting on life and death. In religion, right. you do, you know, when you study the... Bible or you go to church or whatever there's an awful lot about life and death and I was always kind of um, preoccupied with the, the notion of what happened to people when they died you know and uh, as a teenager I was kind of into it and I was into the cure and kind of into the dark side of things you know mm. wondering about it and kind of you know I used to go to graveyards and just um, hang out there and so um, and questioning what you had learned in the church was that part of that? Yeah, well, I mean, I, you know, I know that I have to die and you have to die. We all have to die, you know. And when is the question, as they, uh, you know, when is the question? When right. will we die? How long do we have here? Right. And then you kind of wonder, what's it all about here? Because we're only here for a while and you can't find complete happiness here. That there's always sadness and there's always problems and mm -hmm. trouble and that you really can't find happiness. But then you wonder when it'll be your time, your calling, your time to die, you know, and what happens, you know. So that's something that my mind has always been preoccupied with. Mm -hmm. So when it happened to my father, I was very close to him. I was actually holding his hand when he took his last breath. Mm -hmm. And I remember I was actually really happy about being there holding his hand because I worried that he'd die and I'd be on tour. You know, because when my grandfather died, I was on tour and I didn't go to the funeral. I never got to say goodbye. And this is one of the problems of being in a rock band is that you're away and your loved ones die and you can't even see them. Yeah. So um, when my father died, I was around him a lot, you know, and I, I spent a lot of time with him in the hospital. And then I was with him when he took his last breath. But I felt something coming from him into my hand and into my body. I felt like a bit of his his spirituality coming into me and I felt like he was coming into me, you know. Mm -hmm. And then I felt like he was inside me for a little bit for a while, that his, his spirit was in my spirit, you know, that we were caught up. And I felt that I had to let go. It took me a year and a half or two years. Mm. Wow. And you wrote this song during that time? Yes. Wow. Well, on the, on the other side of that, you were, you've been inspired a lot by the birth of your children and growing, yes. your children growing yes. up. How quickly were you, did you turn that sort of energy of being a new mother and being a mother 
into songwriting? Um, that came really quickly because you're so ecstatic and high when you have a child, when you bring a new life into the world, you know. It's like a little person and it's such a beautiful gift and you're so positive. And again, it's that thing when you wake up in the morning and you kind of get a shock and you go, oh, I have a child. <laughs> and you kind of run over and you, you are, are they wake you crying. But every time you look at them, it's the most uplifting feeling. You know, you're just so happy with the fact that you have this beautiful little child. And uh, it's actually probably probably one of the happiest experiences in life women get to have, you know. And you had that so soon after starting the band too, right? Yes. Your first child? Yeah, my, my first child is 20 this year now. Wow. Oh, man. Yeah. Did, that, did having children distract you from grappling with death? Or I've heard it can have the opposite effect, that yeah. having kids makes you really think about death. Because yeah. then you feel like you're you're teed up to be next. Because they're, know, they're yeah. the new ones on, on the planet. You feel like you're the generation shifting on, yeah. up along. Yeah. Um, I, I found that when I had my kids, I was really happy, you know, really positive. Uh-huh. But it was a little bit hard, though, because I always thought, oh, I have this little baby now and uh, I have this career. How am I going to get back on tour? How am I going to balance it all, you know? Yeah. It was quite hard trying to juggle having children and going on tour and recording uh-huh. because the touring life is not, it's not compatible with children, you know? It's right. very difficult. You can't just bring them on tour. Although I brought my two children on the road with me in the bus until my son was five and my daughter was three. Wow. And they lived in the tour bus with me. But um, I would base them in a hub yeah. Like uh-huh. I would base them in New York and then I would just travel to Boston back or and forth, b- back and forth yeah. to them. And I did a, a lot more traveling and it's, you know, it's it's quite a task to juggle children and rock and roll together. On such a gigantic, like, level. Yes. <laughs> I mean, yeah. you were like you know, adjusting like to band, two so, yeah. gi- giant lifestyle changes in a matter of, you know, seven years or something. Yeah, you always it's feel like, pulled, you know, you feel right. pulled between trying to be in the band and trying to be on stage and trying to be the singer, but then trying to be the mother, you know, you feel kind of dragged. I've always felt pulled ever since I joined the Cranberries. I've felt pulled in different directions, you know. And that's part of why the hiatus happened. The the hiatus is good. You said, (laughs) I need to discover who I am as a person outside of the Cranberries. Have some time away from touring. And did that happen? Yes. Did you discover things about yourself? Yeah, you know, you get to feel normal and get into routines and you know, swimming and working out yeah. and <laughs> dropping off the kids and picking them up and all that stuff, right. you know. But, I mean, you also kind of became an adult in a moment when you couldn't do, like, that much alone time sitting with yourself, just being with yourself. The yes. way that people who aren't in the spotlight can do that in their 20s. That's right, you know, and I think artists, we tend to be quite childish or childlike because what happens is when you're on tour, you have people doing everything, normal things for you. Normal things like your clothes are laid out and you don't have to think about calling a car. The car is sitting there (laughs) and you don't have to think about having money because generally everything's looked after that way. I remember being on tour um, when I first joined the Cranberries and being on the road for like five years. And then when I came off the road and we took our first break after working five consecutive years, I remember going into a restaurant for something to eat, but just getting up and walking out and then thinking, oh, you have to pay. <laughs> Silly things like that. You forget to pay and yeah. you're not really responsible because wow. you, suddenly you're on your own and you're responsible yeah. for yourself. After all these people, handlers minding you, all you have to do is sign autographs and sing and smile. Right. Now suddenly all those people are gone. You're on your own and you have to function. So you had to do a lot of catching up. You know, you had to really mature quickly mm-hmm. to get used to being a, a normal person, you know. Yeah. How old is your youngest kid now? 11. Okay. 
So it's a while before you're fully free of kids y- yes. in the house. <laughs> yes, yes. <laughs> but your oldest is now the age you were when you were really going through this at the beginning. Yes. And and really, I mean... even I He's even older, actually, now. He's older than... He's okay. 20. Because for your second record, you wrote the song 21, when you turned 21. Yeah. Right? Which, yes. to me, I don't know if this is true, but it feels like it's about songwriting and about just the challenge of being an artist and continuing to write. Yes. I don't know if that's... I actually thing. wrote that on my 21st birthday, <clears throat> and I was in a bad relationship. It was my first love. lasted three years, and I lived in a flat, a dodgy flat, with him. And... Uh, you know, it was good at first and then it just went bad. It was toxic and stuff, you know. So it took a long time to get out of that relationship. But I remember I was struggling a lot. And most of No Need to Argue was written during that period, you know. Your first love can be so traumatic, you know. It's heartbreaking stuff, you know. First kiss, first love, those are potent subjects to yes. make proper <laughs> songs for rock, rock hits. Yeah. Linger yeah. was first kiss and then right. dreams was first love. Wow. Yeah. Were, did you ever feel or has there been a journey... Um, of how it feels as far as it, it being a challenge when you start out with such giant hits has it been a challenge to now say like hope, you know want to match that it's hard to follow up um that initial success that you have when you're at your prime you know and we were at our prime we were you know young we were all so young and we had great songs and when you're young as well and you're in relationships everything's a lot more dramatic like as you get older it's not as dramatic it's just more practically problems you know mm. if you have uh, a breakup in a relationship you kind of deal with it practically but you're not like oh I can't sleep <laughs> you know but or when I you're young live. you're all like I can't live anymore <laughs> yeah. I can't cope yeah you know? but yeah you get older and life is different you have children and you know um you're not the same as as when you're young and I suppose that we were lucky we were so young and we were so successful and we were able for the demand. There was a huge demand. A lot of people wanted to talk to us. There was a lot of performances to do. And we were able to keep up with those demands. But as you get older, you become more weary. You know, your body gets older, you develop problems, you know. So you can't move. Real problems. The pace isn't as fast. <laughs> like, you have to keep the pace a little bit more mellowed, you know. And that's what we do now. You know, we're selective about what we will do. Mm-hmm. I'm very selective about what I will do and what I won't do because I know I have to protect my health and my mental health. Mm-hmm. As mostly important Mm -hmm. and uh, if you bite off more than you can chew and then you can't cope you've only got yourself to blame so it's important to be selective and not to take on too much so that if things start to go bad and you start feeling mentally insecure you know you're stuck you still have to get up on stage and perform even Mm -hmm. though you're not feeling good or you know you're going through a crisis so I think it's just uh, it's about you know kind of controlling things and controlling your life if you can it's the most important thing. It's pretty incredible. You must. You guys are doing something right. I mean, I feel like it's uncommon for a band to have this kind of career and not go through any uh, lineup changes. I mean, you've all been original members, you know, from yes. the beginning of the career. for you. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> um, do you feel like there have been any significant missteps? Anything that, in retrospect, you'd say, oh, you know, as a career move, as the, as the Cranberries, we, you know, we could have done this differently, or have you really just had a pretty smooth ride? I think um, that it went pretty well, you know. I, I think that, you know, we had so much immediate success that we probably weren't prepared for it, you know. We were very young. Yeah, I've heard we were you say, school, like, like, fame didn't, you don't feel like fame sat that well with you. I think I was very young, you know, and yeah. naive. I hadn't grown up. I wasn't an adult, you know. I was in school, so... 
um, all of my friends went to college and did normal things and got educated and got stronger, whereas we got thrown into the the epitome of fame, you know. And then, you know, um, I think that it was so much so young that afterwards, you know, we were kind of frightened about it, like, oh, I don't know if I want to go back on tour yet. Maybe we'll wait till next year. Maybe we'll wait till next year. You know, and we kind of, we were inclined not to do too much, you know, kind of nervous in case it happened again. Yeah. What was the decision behind putting old hits and new songs on the new album? Um, Oh, yes. We decided to do it for the fans because it was the 25th anniversary. Uh And, uh, you know, we'd gotten together. um, There was a TV show, an American one called The Bachelorette. Uh And they asked us to do a cameo on it, right? I've never watched it. Big fan. Are you? Can't lie. Yep. Do you watch it? Oh, yeah. So there you go. And they asked us to do a cameo to do Linger. Um, at the grand finale, where the the last the couple are together. Yeah, I, I, well, I rewatched it, knowing yes. knowing this. I didn't, I didn't remember that, but did, had you known about the show before? I'd heard of it. Yeah, because it's a very big viewership. I think it's eight million people watch yeah, it. It's crazy. It's so huge. I thought it was a great way as well to get maybe a younger generation to mm-hmm. hear of the cranberries and to hear linger, mm-hmm. and see if they like it. You know just to, uh, it's good PR, do you know, that's what I thought about it. So I said, we'll do it. And the quartet came along and we did it. And uh, I said to Noel at that particular thing, I said, you know, maybe we should do an album for the fans with a quartet for the 25th anniversary. It would be nice because we hadn't seen each other for a few years at that point. Myself and Noel, it had been maybe three or four years. Oh, wow. Yeah. Where does he live? He lives in Limerick as well. But we don't hang out and we don't see each other unless we're working. Mm -hmm. So the song selection was done how? We um we chose um a lot of the songs that the fans love live, yeah. and we chose the uh, the singles. Okay. The hits. Do you encounter people who only know you from the "You've Got Mail" soundtrack? Yes. <laughs> I'm just thinking that because that song is such a huge part of that movie. Which one? That's and "You've right. Got Mail" is like the f- dreams, and "You've uh-huh. Got Mail" is the favorite rom com of an entire generation. <laughs> that I, that's funny. That's how they found you guys. Yeah, it's kind of weird. Some people are. Uh, will know you from something like I took uh, the position of being a coach on The Voice of Ireland. Right. And I said I'd do it because I was offered it and I had a year off. I wasn't on tour. Uh-huh. I asked my kids, I said, do you think I should do it? And they were like, yeah, do it. Cool. <laughs> and I said, OK, why not? Could be interesting. Uh-huh. So I did it. And what happened was I got loads of little fans, you know, five and six year olds. <laughs> and, in, you know, in Ireland, I'd be walking along, going for my walk in the uh-huh. afternoon and a car would stop. A mommy with a car full of kids and they'd be going, hi, Dolores. From the show. And they never heard of the cranberries. <laughs> oh, they, wow. like, they wouldn't have a clue about the cranberries. <laughs> do you like, that? Is that cool? We saw you on telly. Yeah, it was cool. Why not? It was a different uh, hat. You know, it was like being someone else. Yeah, yeah. that's yeah. fun. So I had a, I had a load of little small fans, you know, five to ten year olds. Yeah. Well, that's, I mean, I'm curious your feeling about streaming revolution that's happening. And, you know, because new fans, new generation of fans are able to access your music so easily now. Yeah. I wonder how you feel about the balance of of that accessibility versus you know it's it's not a great no thing money. for artists no money right like how do you feel about spotify i know roses is not on spotify i don't know if you are aware of that 
I feel like we were really lucky actually to have had all the success when we did because, you know, you could make money back then and, you know, people went out and bought your CDs. Right. So you could monitor how many people were listening to your music and now you can't. But um, having said that, it's just the way it is and um, it's pointless being too bitter about it, you know, because it's not going to help. You just have to kind of accept that's just the way it is. Yeah. You must make the best of it. And, you know, I mean, one of the bonuses is that you can go on there and see all your fans talking to each other mm-hmm. and you have direct communication with your audience mm-hmm. and um, there's a lot of, like, uh, fan clubs around the world. Oh, I have to fans. shout out the Cranberries World Fan Club. Do you know about this fan site? Heard of I it. I want to shout out Camille and Luke. Yes. Because they're outstanding. No, it is Luke. the greatest fan site I've ever come across. There you go. Yeah. I mean, who you have, it's an epic. Who run it? These what are people who run say? it. Oh, okay. Yeah. I said, I said the two people. Dive? Oh my God. Well, it doesn't, it doesn't, that's the thing. Once you find Cranberries World, you don't need to deep dive. It's all there. Yeah. They have such devoted, loyal fans. Yes. It's lovely. And you get to see that. So without the internet, we'd never see that. So it's good because uh, sometimes you need a little bit of a boost of confidence and then you go, oh yeah, we should probably record more material then. You <laughs> right. know? And, and the five and 10 year olds are going to be able to listen to your whole catalog. Yeah. I mean, <laughs> Teeny boppers too. Yeah. So when does the tour start? The tour starts on the 1st of May. Okay. And we are going out for about six weeks in Europe. And then we're hoping to come across to America in September. That's been locked in at the moment. So we have 18 dates booked across the States. There's two in New York. Yes. How are you feeling about all this? I'm feeling quite excited, you know. I'm just really looking forward to the point of uh, getting up on stage and getting into it, you know, getting into performing. But uh, I just did a a few shows in Mexico there about three or four weeks ago. And I did one in Peru uh, maybe two months ago. And so I've been doing, uh, last summer I did a load of festivals in Europe. Uh, With the Cranberries? or Yes, with the Cranberries, European festivals. So uh, I try not to let it too long without getting up on stage so that, you know, I'm still... You know, it will able to perform and yeah, and that side of your brain, you know, being up on stage performing. Mm-hmm. Can I ask for any like young female rock and rollers who are listening to this? What would you? I mean, I hate asking questions like this, but is there any kind of wisdom that you could impart to them about how to just maintain yourself through all the phases and evolutions of music that you've gone through in life? That like you still seem very much um, like in control of who you are and what you want and what your artistic voice yeah. is. I think it's very important to be in control and yeah. to if you don't want to do something, simply say no. And you might be surrounded by people pushing you because mm-hmm. there's only one artist and there's a lot of people surrounding the artist. But it's very important that you remain firm on the ground that no, I don't want to do that or I don't want to wear that or... Uh, you know, don't put yourself into a situation you don't want to be in because, you know, you might fall out of control then. It's important to try and stay in control of your own life, your own career and your own destiny. Amen. Yes. Great advice. Great advice. Um, All right. Something else is out on April 28th. Gorgeous renditions of old stuff. Gorgeous new stuff. With the Irish Chamber Orchestra. That's right. So, yeah, check it out, guys. And we'll all come see you at your shows. Okay, very good. Thanks, Laura. Thank Thank you. you so much. Thanks, girls.
Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50% to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High-quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style.